Kicking and Streaming Podcast is brought to you by Cafe 1804. Premium Haitian coffee now available online at cafe1804.com. That's cafe, K-A-F-E, 1804.com. Ah, Georgia. Yes, Graham. Oh, I thought you were going to get started. I was going to get started? Yeah. I thought you were going to get started. I was waiting on you. So it's my thing, right? The whole starting thing? <laughs> so the whole starting thing is my thing? I believe so. That's That was my understanding. In, in the contract, I think, when we had that written out by the attorneys, and that what it said? <laughs> Speak to my attorney. <laughs> I hate when poor people do that. Yeah. If you, if, you, if you don't pick up my phone call, next time you're going to speak to my attorney. You don't have an attorney. You don't have an attorney on a retainer like that. Just... And even if you do, I'm not going to answer his call either, so. <laughs> yeah, like, what is he going to do? <laughs> Come and beat me up? Why yeah. are we talking about this anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, let's do this. <laughs> This is Kicking and Streaming Podcast, a binge watcher's guide to streaming movies, TV series, and stuff. Here are your hosts, Graham and Jocelyn. And hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Kicking and Streaming Podcast. My name is Graham, and of course, with me is the very fantastic, absolutely delightful Jojo. Hello, Jojo. How did you, Graham? <laughs> Jojo, we're doing all right. We are doing all right. You know, we're talking about lawyers and attorneys and shit. Yeah. Nobody knows how we got to that point, but hey, man, that's what we do. That's what we do. Right. So it's the it's the in stuff part. You know, we're so we're so sure that nobody is going to watch this live on (laughs) on YouTube and Twitch that we just talk shit and like. Yeah. We know we're not gonna we're not gonna creep out anybody like no nobody cares nobody cares <laughs> anyway but let's say hello to the people who listen to the audio podcast hello there thank you for coming back every week and this week we have something good last week we had a quite good show but it was a bit short we didn't have a lot to say about it nonetheless it was one of those movies that we enjoyed watching however. This time, we are talking about a two-part documentary series on HBO Max, and it is called The Crime of the Century. It's enough to make you mad, enough to make you want to throw some rocks at somebody, punch a wall, Uh, but it is good information that we should all know. It is good recent history contemporary history that we should all know. And uh, Jojo and I have decided we need to talk about this a bit more. Right, Jojo? Yep. Yep. I really, I enjoy it when we get to talk about documentaries because I personally enjoy documentaries, not over anything, but I just enjoy them. And to me, I don't think they get really enough attention except for a very niche, perhaps, group of folks who like to watch documentaries. So I, I love it when we get to talk about them. And and not only, as you said, this is contemporary history, this is current history. This is still happening. This is still unfolding. Yeah. We are currently living this. So to get a background on what we're currently going through and how it started is is very, I think, important and very important for decisions to be made for what's going on now to help inform folks. And so in that respect, Jojo, I think what should be happening now is this is where you tell folks what this documentary film is about and why we're going to be raging about for the next hour or so. (laughs) (laughs) So it's called The Crime of the Century. It's available for streaming on uh, HBO Max. And it is the story of, it begins with the story of the Sackler family and their purchase of a small pharmaceutical company a very long time ago called Purdue Pharma. Their invention and patent of a particular kind of slow release coding for medication that quickly turned into someone thinking, hey, this would be a great way to give morphine to people who were in pain. And from there, it turned into the creation of 
marketing medication to Americans. And that is something that's sort of unprecedented in the rest of the world. People are shocked by that sort of thing when they come to America and see commercials for medication. But the Sackler family put the, the framework, the groundwork down for advertising and pushing pills. And this documentary goes into not only all of that, but what it has led to, which is the current situation with the opioid crisis that is currently happening across all of America, but you could say is certainly hitting the poorer, whiter regions of the country a lot harder than others. Yeah, Georgia, I think I think that's it right there. Yes, you know, it, it, it's it's hard to swallow sometimes because we we know that this country has maintained a long history of what do, what do they call it war on drugs and the war on drugs is uh, long has long been suspected of being a ploy to incarcerate as many in as, uh, uh, people of color and minorities as possible and i think one of the things that this documentary demonstrates is that much in the same way for instance that when it comes to illegal immigration or undocumented immigrants, the majority of undocumented immigrants come into this country with documents and just overstay. So they, they come through the airports as opposed to the southern borders. Meanwhile, we only pay attention to the southern border. It's the same thing with drugs in that pharmaceutical companies, specifically the Sackler family and a few distributors, are a major problem, equally as bad as illicit drugs. But they have the ability to buy their way into Congress and, <laughs> and politicians and get away with it, even though they have a trail of dead people, especially within the Appalachian region that they've left behind. But nothing has happened to them. It's pure, absolute impunity. But still, we have a war on drugs. So, Giorgio, let me put the ball on your corner. What did you think of this documentary in terms of the way it exposes everything? And I say that because we always talk about documentary films, and we know that some of them have, for the most part, an agenda. And sure. that agenda might well be, you know, I'm just here to tell the truth. But in some cases, it's just, yeah, you know, I don't like these folks and I have some things to say about them. And whether I it's the truth or whether it's a thinly veiled lie that seems to be the truth or is similar to the truth, then I'll say it. So what do you think this documentary accomplishes in terms of, of its stance? My take on the documentary was that it was really solely informational, and that it was going to be factual, and this is what happened, and this is how it happened, and this is why it happened, and kind of take you step by step through the many years that it took for us to get where we currently are when it comes to the state of the opioid epidemic crisis, what, whatever you want to call it. And I didn't really see any sort of agenda in sense of politics or anything like that. I The only agenda I saw was truth, the, the importance of journalism and invest, investigative journalism and the push to get out truth whenever possible um, so people can understand what's happening because so much of this was able to be covered up just due to the fact there was so much money that was laying around and passing around. So let me ask you this. Why do you think in, in, in a country like the United States, like this is not a country that has outright in your face political corruption, you know, in comparison to other to other countries, right? Sure. Like there are rules and regulations, checks and balances that for the most part work, but it almost seems 
the same people that create the regulations and the checks and balances, they then, at some point, they change course, they jump ship, and then they go and tell the other side, here's how you're going to beat this. Yes. Why is that, in your view, such a a hard problem to tackle in, in, in American legislation? I, 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 I don't think it should be allowed, per se, for someone who worked for a sensitive government agency to go work for a pharmaceutical company or an insurance company or any sort of company that is going to be able to push or attempt to push legislation through that is going to profit them. That's essentially the same, I would think, as, I don't know, hiring a... a a Russian agent to, to be the, the head of the FBI. I mean, you know, I, I just, I, it, yeah. it's not, it doesn't seem ethical to me. It really seems like there's too much of a conflict of interest there to be able to ethically complete your job and say, oh no, I can cut this part of what I was doing for the government or for the people out of it and just do my private side of it with this pharmaceutical company, insurance company, whatever. I just I it, it, I don't know how they're retaining their licenses in the case of the folks who are attorneys because to me that's a clear conflict of interest. Do do you think to a certain extent would you put the blame solely on on big pharma or or do you think also you know the government just by looking the other way is complicit? I think the government's completely complicit because the fact of looking the other way makes them complicit. Big Pharma is has discovered a loophole or a weakness or whatever in the system and is exploiting it to their own profit. And what it comes down to in everything that we learned in this documentary and all the videos we saw from their from their sales team meetings and things like that, it's sell, 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 profit, 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 uncapped bonuses, that kind of thing. So that the massive amounts of money that they are able to generate is going to corrupt anybody. And to be able to use that to pull in people who have worked for the government or who know a lot about how the government works is is just, to me, should not be something that the government should allow. I'll take the case of the man who actually approved the drug, oxy, yeah. oxy, I oxycotton, codon, Oxy, cotton? Oxycotton, yeah. Oxycotton. What I don't understand is how one doctor was able to get it passed, and it's said to be by the whole FDA. I don't understand that. That should have never happened, but that is what happened. One doctor reviewed it and said, Cool. And then he was hired by the pharmaceutical company that he approved the drug for less than a year later. That should have never happened. That proved he was in their pockets to begin with. You know, there was meetings, there was lots of information and paperwork backing up all of the facts that he had been in collusion with them. And it just went through. And the one thing I don't understand is that if a group of journalists, investigative journalists, where it was so easy for them to actually find out that this doctor, was he, uh, what was his name, Wright, last name Wright? Uh, Curtis Wright, is that right? Curtis Wright, exactly. This doctor Curtis Wright, he, the Sackler people camped out of the motel where he was staying. They met with him. He basically drafted the language to the whole, the warning labels and everything. Yes, yes. They practically held his hand while he signed off on it. How in the bloody hell there was no oversight? How could it be that all of this went under the radar? It's almost to me as if, you know, the whole aren't see nothing. Yeah. You know, like Yeah, yeah. I, I I it's it's very mind boggling to me for some for something that is supposed to have as much power as the FDA to allow this to have happened and and, and only have it peer reviewed by one person. I yeah. And and I, I don't even know that he was a, a, an expert in opioids. I don't remember that no. being said. He was just yeah. a doctor, as far yeah. as I know, which yeah. they can specialize in all kinds of things. I don't know. He might have been a gynecologist, which I so I, I do not understand how that happened. And it also is scary when you think about how many other times it must have happened with other drugs. Yes. And, and the crazy thing is like other drugs at least get recalled. 
<laughs> you know. Yes. But these yes. people, the Sackler, they are powerful enough yes. to, let's talk about the whole, I'll give you whatever fine you say I should give you, except that I'm not admitting any guilt. Yes. Yes. This is this is nonsense. This is absolute nonsense. How can you tell me, yeah, I mean, I'll pay you whatever you want me to pay you, but I didn't have anything to do with it. Yeah. And you yeah. can't say I had anything to do with it. That, for yeah. for, for for any, why did you start the, the prosecution to begin with? Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yes, like, yes. If nothing happened here, right, why did you start the prosecution to begin with? Yes. Secondly, why are you willing to pay the fine if nothing happened here? Come on, fight me in court. Why yeah. don't you try that? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Exactly. I I don't I don't understand why that is allowed. Those kinds of plea deals are allowed in very high profile cases like that. Yeah. Because because they're they it's not like they paid billions of dollars. They paid a, tra a traffic ticket. I liked exactly. that term that they kept saying. For them, yes. it was a traffic ticket. And it was never, their names were never attached to anything. The company name was never attached to having ever pled to anything or, or nothing at all like that. So uh, there was, I don't know why that exists in such a high profile and such an important case. I understand why it exists in smaller cases because people may roll over. They may give testimony against somebody that you need. That wasn't going to happen here. All they got here was a little bit of money yep. and a lot of wasted time. So I, I don't understand why that exists in, in high profile cases. I don't get it. And there is also the case of disregard. Uh, like, here's what I can tell you. If the people who were dying of overdoses from these medication were as high profile as the Sackler. If they were the grandchildren, the little friends of the senators and the Congress people's grandchildren, if that was happening within their community, something would have been done. And yeah. something, like, like I said, Something would have been done. But when you tell them, the people, the area that seem to be most affected by these are poor people from the mountains of Appalachia, you can see the disregard. And not only the disregard, but creating the narrative that they are the bad ones. Yes. They yes. are misusing this drug. So they are to blame. It's yes. not the drug. It's the same argument with the fucking gun shit. Yes. Right? Yes. Guns don't kill people. It's people that kill people. Yes, but with a motherfucking gun. Yes. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's just, do not tell me. But like, the only reason you'll get overdosed is if you get your hands on fucking drugs. Yes. That is as simple as that. Yes. And, 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 and you are going around telling doctors there is no such thing as getting hooked on, like a person with pain is not going to get hooked on this because there's no, like, like, okay, come on. Pseudo addiction. Was that? That was that was the term that was made up by by I believe Purdue Pharma invented the term pseudo addiction. And it was by some dude who has no. He wasn't even a doctor. Education I don't think. <laughs> at all. I think he was a sales guy. He was some doctor, but like had no pharmaceutical nothing. He, he he you know he just came up with this shit and and like do you know how much you have to be gaslighting? The level of gaslighting for you to say, look, he may look like an addict looking for drugs, but that's because he's in so much pain, yeah, in so much pain that he's desperate to find it. Yeah. Really? <laughs> Why don't we actually take a look at, yeah, let's, let's take a look at this. Like, why is he or she pursuing only this drug? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, Something should click and say to you, right, uh, this person is in so much pain that they, they, they're trying to take a whole bottle of Tylenol. 
That's not what they're doing. They are driving miles and miles and miles and miles away from their hometown to find this specific drug. Doesn't that tell you that there's something on your drug is crack, motherfucker? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and the I think too the the separation of of its 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 poor poor people in Appalachia. It's it's mostly poor white people in the in the mountains and uh, in Pennsylvania. And you know they 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 don't matter. They aren't important. They've brought it on themselves. You know they're 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 genetically inclined to it because before this came along, they were all alcoholics. That kind of thing. Right. You know, and when the doctor Art Van Z testified. Yes. And someone actually said to him, he's a doctor, and I don't even know what credentials a, a congressman or whatever has, but says Chris to him, Dodd. Chris Dodd was just a douchebag. Yeah, yeah. Chris Dodd says to him, uh, oh, is that one of your cute little Appalachian phrases? Yes, yes. How I don't, condescending. I don't know how, yes, and I don't know how the doctor didn't just pull off his mic and go up there and punch him. Because but be like, that's the other thing, too. They get very offended when you oh, yes. come back at them. Because like Marsha Blackburn, yes. Marsha Blackburn got really in her feelings because she was trying to trample this dude who's Ranazizi, who was yes. testifying. Why yes. are you doing it? Why is like, okay, but I'm answering your questions. If you yes. would take the time to go and find the information, because the information is there. Yeah. You just... You just want me. So, like, it's almost the same thing as in, like, it is your responsibility to, no, to not get addicted to, the, to, to, to these drugs. Yes. So, Marsha Blackburn's attitude was, it is your responsibility to bring me the information I should know before I question you about what you do, what, why are you doing this. Yeah. You know, so I can see the frustration in him saying, look, you're not going to put this on me. You are a you are a congressperson. You are a member of government, and you have staff. You have all kind of shit. You can't come here in this hearing and tell me, "Well, I was expecting you could give me information about this." You are about to approve a fucking law. You don't have enough information, and you putting me putting it on me. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. The, the, <laughs> yeah. You're expecting me, one person, to disseminate all of this information to you, and you have a huge staff that can do all of that for you, bring you a binder, or I don't know, maybe you could go read it yourself. And, and yeah, yeah. I, 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 in those interviews that were taped, I could just feel the, the, ex, the, the exasperation coming off of him. Like, Yes. yes. I'm not unprepared. You're the one unprepared, you're... but you're accusing me of being unprepared. Yeah. 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 And then just, you know, I guess today is Attitude Monday. Like, look, that that level of condescension, like, I swear to God, I would not have been able to. Like, I would have made a scene on C-SPAN right there because this <laughs> yeah. is bullshit. <laughs> you know what? No, because that's gaslight. I mean, that absolute gaslighting. She knew that she was doing something wrong. Yes. This is a three-page law. Three pages. Three pages. That's all I had to read was three pages. And there's really only one sentence in it that's important. Yes. And it's devastatingly important. And the fact that none of them questioned the three pages or from what I can tell, even had an attorney look at it. Because as they say in the documentary, everything about language, everything about law is language and the importance of language. Yeah. So if you are not an attorney and you don't understand the importance of language, or if you just plain don't understand the important langu- importance of language, period, and you're a congressperson or you're some sort of a representative, you need to have an attorney that is not just going to tell you what you want to hear. You need somebody who's going to disseminate this information and say to you, this is what this actually means. And this is what this is giving them the power to do. And I think that there's such a culture of being ashamed to ask questions once you get into a higher power, higher, higher position or have more power that it just generates this uh, culture of ignorance. Yeah, but like it's blissful. It's it's yeah. it's. I don't know what I'm talking about, but all I have to do is look confident, isn't it? Yes, yes. Yeah. I have no. I have. To, I don't know anything, but that I I'm not going to worry about the fact that I don't know anything. Eh. Okay, so let me ask you this instead. So 
imagine the notion that a congressperson, a senator, has taken thousands upon thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars from Big Pharma. So if it were a judge that had any involvement in this, that judge should have been made to recuse themselves yes. from that, right? Yes. How is that not happening in Congress? How uh, should you, why shouldn't, why shouldn't a congressperson or a senator be forced to recuse themselves from discussing a law project that has something to do with their donors? Because, yeah. because that's corruption right there, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's a direct correlation to a bribe. So you're going to tell me that no one is going to question the fact that Graham and Jocelyn are the two people most hyped about a law that will benefit uh, pharmaceutical companies. Like no one is going to say, Graham, they helped you a lot on your last election. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, 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 I don't know. Other people handle my books. I have no idea. You know what? I don't care if you get offended. But I'm going to ask you, yeah. Nina, are you taking something from these motherfuckers? Because, like, you kind of, like, way too hype about this, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. But that doesn't seem to happen here. It's just... But again, it brings me back to Graham is a socialist, communist, Venezuela kind of thing shit. Because <laughs> the fact of the matter is that these are things that should not be for profit. Healthcare... Education, those things should not be for profit. No. They no. should not be for profit. Capitalism should have nothing to do with a people's health care and a people's education. Agreed. Because Agreed. in countries where you have universal health care, pharmaceutical companies have to deal with the government. The only entity that buys their shit is the government. And the government is going to be prepared to tell them, we're going to test this shit. And independent of your testing, we are going to go through it. And I don't know. Yeah, maybe you can buy one or two people from the government, but it's not going to be as blatant as it happens here. You know, the whole idea of uncapped bonuses yeah. to push a medication that you know is highly addictive yes. is insane because you're selling, you literally sending people out there with Anglo-Saxon last names to be your drug dealers. Yeah, yeah, and the people that they are selling to, and I, 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 I'm not talking about the doctors, but the people who are actually becoming addicted to the medication, are the folks who typically have been taught that doctors have their best interests at heart. And they may not trust a whole lot of people, but they're probably going to trust the family doctor. Yep. And they're going to do what the family doctor tells them to do. If it's on this piece of paper that I need to take 180 milligrams of this drug three times a day, then I must be going to. And yep. a lot of them are going to keep doing it, even if it makes them feel like crap. Because yeah. the doctor told me to do it. That's an authority figure that they have been taught that they should follow, much like yeah. a priest or yeah. a preacher or, or someone like that. So All of the people that I don't trust. Pretty much, yes. <laughs> <laughs> same, same. So, um, but, you know, I, I actually watched this documentary with a family member, and she said to me, she's like, do you see who the people that they're targeting with this? And I said, who are they targeting? Oh. And she said, uneducated people. She's like, people who are never going to push back or ask questions. Yeah. They're just yeah. going to do what they're told to do. She's like, poor, uneducated people. Yeah. And of course, there are other people who have gotten addicted to it. But the, the, the idea of the epidemic and the idea of the crisis has certainly affected the poorer regions much more so than it has middle class, upper middle class, that sort of thing. The reason for that being that there's money they have money, they have high, better insurance that's going to pay for them to go to rehab and those sorts of things. It's always about the poor and people of color. Yes, yes, the very much so. The are yes. always about the poor and mm -hmm. people of color. Yes. And even in terms of the consequences, 
even in terms of the these people are going to pay for what they did, if you pay attention, and I was saying this to my wife because she she watched the latter part of the second episode with me, and I'm like, do you realize that at the end of the day, the few people that went to prison, it was one Jewish guy, one Asian slash Hawaiian lady, one South Asian dude, Dr. Kapoor, and ultimately some poor trash white guy <laughs> from somewhere that, Ohio, you know, I think. yeah, ended up doing some shit that he wasn't supposed to be doing. Yeah. But 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 per capita, all of the people of color <laughs> ended up going to jail. Yes. Meanwhile, the Sacklers are never, ever going to see the inside of a jail. No, they never will. They'll never be accused of anything. And, you know, the, the idea, too, of like the, I can't remember his name, but the gentleman who I think it was Ohio, the white white dude. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's serving, I forget how many years in federal prison, 12 years in federal prison, I think 136 was. months, whatever that translates whatever that into. Right. And he made $300,000. Yeah. I mean, I ain't saying what he did was right, but I'm saying if we're just going to say this is money that we're talking about, he made $300,000. Yeah. These people made $80 billion. And... <laughs> Dr. Kapoor, of course, made quite a bit of money, but he still didn't make anything near what the no Sacklers near. made. Nowhere near. In fact, Dr. Kapoor went to prison because he hadn't gotten to the level of buying himself a couple of congressmen. Yes. Simple yes. as that. But if he'd had a couple more years, though, he would have been, he would of have been fine. He would have of been course. fine. Of course. Yes. And, 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 and like, even, even in terms of the sentencing of the white dude, if you yeah. think about it, like how many brothers are in uh, Rikers right now? <laughs> How many bro- brothers in, in, in California are doing 20, 30 years yes. because of a third strike with one dime bag in their pockets? Yes. This yes. motherfucker bullshit from China, brought it into the United States, cooked his own shit, did all of that, and created this entire enterprise, right? The wife didn't even know about it. He, he got, and I'm sure he's going to get out before... You know, the one, 136 months. Probably. You know, yeah. there's, brothers, there's brothers that are going to die or have died in prison because of a dime bag. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And Alabama, Alabama is making it so it's even harder. I mean, even more likely that you're going to go to prison forever for a dime bag. I mean, <laughs> tell me about it. So, so this documentary reveals a lot more about the criminal justice system about yes. the war on drug that we ever thought we knew. Yes. Because it almost, if you have a name like El Chapo or Escobar or Aguilera or some shit, they will pursue you to the end of this earth and you don't have the power of negotiating a plea and paying a... $800 billion, $8 billion over 10 years, which after you agree to it, you go and say, I'm sorry, I'm broke, which is yeah. what the Sacklers did. Yes, yes. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, fine, fine, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but we ain't got that kind of money. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> and the fact that they moved it out of the accounts, it was there. They was knew there. they were going to get caught. They, they knew, they, knew, gonna, they so. knew that justice was going to come to them. So they moved it all away. And then they're like, oh, we paid taxes on it, so it's gone. Yeah. It's amazing. It, yeah. Is, is it, it is an amazing yeah. thing. Do you know what I mean? I, Meanwhile, I, they hunted like a fucking rat. They hunted Pablo Escobar. And here's yes. a crazy thing. Here's a crazy thing. And again, I'm not saying that Pablo Escobar was a, was a good guy. That's oh, not no. what I'm saying at all. No, no, but no, Pablo no, Escobar, no. Pablo Escobar, did shit for Colombia. As a matter of fact, even in terms of fucking uh, uh, international soccer, today, Colombia has one of the best, one of the best national soccer teams. And that's thanks to the to, to Pablo Escobar. 
Because you know what he did? He took all the kids of that era that had some talent and put them in, an, in, in soccer academies and made them, found them some of the best coaches in Latin America and even in Europe. And those kids are the ones who grew up to, to like, don't talk to me about shit. What have the Sacklers done? Yeah. Buy yeah. Their, their, put their names on fucking museums and in, in, in art galleries and shit. Fuck y'all. Like, seriously. <laughs> the yeah. only like the the war on drug is not about drugs has never no, been about drugs it no. has never been about drugs no. it's a way to put black men in prison is a way to hunt down and fucking stigmatize people with with spanish last name yes do you know what i mean yes and it's a way of just doing nothing and watching people on poor white people die of overdoses yeah. and shit. Yeah. It's a way to get rid of the undesirables. You yes. know, what 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 is considered undesirable by the people, the Sacklers of the world. You know, of, of course it's lovely to be able to go to a museum and see some amazing art and that kind of thing and architecture and then and that's that's wonderful and great. But how many people from Appalachia are ever going to make it there? Exactly. Exactly. How many of them are ever going to make it there to see all of those wonderful things? Because they're in big cities where there's lots of very wealthy, affluent people and upper middle class and folks who might be able to scrape some money together to go to the museum if they can afford the entrance fee. Because a lot of them have entrance fees. Oh, I yeah. mean, this, the Smithsonian is free, but I think it's the only one that is. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's, it's disgusting on so many levels. And I... I actually have a theory about Dr. Kapoor. Go on. <laughs> because I think Dr. Kapoor tangled with someone that he, he shouldn't have. And this is my theory based on my past experiences with medical billing. Uh, he actually, in the documentary, it's shown that he had a team of people who were lying to insurance companies to get a very expensive drug approved yeah. so then the insurance company would pay for it fifteen and thirty thousand dollars a month for this particular drug it was supposed to only be for end-of-life cancer patients right for breakthrough right. pain and so he had a team of people who were getting a line bilking the insurance company insurance companies have a lot of people in their pockets yes in government and i honestly think if he had not done that he would be just as big as the Sacklers. Yes. But he tangled with somebody bigger than yeah. him. And yeah. the Blue Crosses of the world, the mm -hmm. Etnas of the world, the Cygnas of the world, no, we're not going to do that. No. Yeah. We've got 10 congressmen that we're going to call right now and go, you get this motherfucker out of the, out of the, of out of the country. Of course. Of so. course. And when they look at this dude, what? A long-haired South Asian looking dude. This yeah. guy is not a sackler. He has no right to be doing any of this. Right, Fuck exactly, that. exactly. Yes. He's taking, he's taking our money. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. No, but like Jojo, this your your theory is absolutely plausible, absolutely perfect. Because yeah, it is when things started to go south when Dr. Kapoor created this little team and stuff. And the other thing is that he was like writing shit down. Yes. You yes. Know. Yes. And that was obviously not something that was the smartest thing in the world to do if you're going to be doing illegal things. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm pretty sure the Sacklers had the same kind of information. Yeah. But like, I mean, yeah, you have, I, you have to go yeah. through 175,000 lawyers before you get to one of these documents. Yeah. Yeah, you know. exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, Dr. Kapoor maybe shouldn't have kept it on a Google doc. That was probably a bad idea because <laughs> I recognized it when it came up. I was like, oh yeah, I used to fill those out a lot. Um, but, but yeah, no, it's just the, when he did that, and the insurance company, of course, he cracked, and when they talk about, oh, he cracked the algorithm of the insurance companies. And that's completely true. That exists. Yeah. I yeah. know about it. Um, yeah. I've never attempted to crack it. I've never done anything I'm not supposed to do to get authorization from an insurance company because I'm an ethical person and I worked for ethical people. However, there is an algorithm that you can crack and you can change and you can get things approved that you shouldn't. And the other thing that people need to realize or that Dr. Kapoor did not realize is the fact that they know when you've cracked the algorithm, it may take them a while to catch yeah. up, but yeah. once they start paying a lot of claims, they're going to go, no, no, 
this isn't right. No, we're, we're not going to have a suddenly all these breakthrough cancer patients, patients with breakthrough cancer pain in Peoria, Illinois, yeah. all of yeah. a sudden. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. So he he picked the wrong tiger to poke. Is that the saying? I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think if he hadn't done that, he, he would have. And I think it's pretty much the same thing that happened the way that, you know, the three big distribution companies, including McKesson, were kind of like found out in the sense that, dude, are you really stupid or are you pretending to be stupid when you know that some dude who used to order 5,000 pills a month, now all of a sudden, one month he ordered 60,000, the next month he ordered 150,000, and the next month... Boom, 300,000 and you ain't going to say anything? Yeah. You're not yeah. going to like, what, what? Yeah. yeah. And we're not talking baby aspirin or Benadryl here. This is a controlled, highly dangerous controlled substance. Absolutely. So, mm, no. And let me ask you this. Do you think it was like brazen, like even ballsy for those doctors that created those pill mills? Like... Seriously, because like those were the easiest ones to crack. Like when you go to a strip mall and you see three different pain management, <laughs> like seriously, dude, how did, how did they even get away with that for a while? I th- I I don't know. I I lived in the town for a while. Well, the town I grew up in that there was several of those that didn't uh-huh. have, that that that's that that popped up in uh, around the the time that we're talking about. And I had never heard the term pain management before, and I thought, oh, that's a little strange term, you know? Like why why would I? Why is there like a strip mall with pain? You know, like a, yeah. a kind of a not. 100% great, but not a 100% terrible looking sort of place. Yeah. And I actually knew someone that I was friends with someone who started going to the one of the pain management doctors who had legitimate pain issues. Mm-hmm. Um, she'd had a botched operation and was she needed help. And she had tried lots of different avenues, and somebody suggested that she go to a pain management doctor, much like what happened to the poor lady in Salt Lake City that right. is mentioned in the in documentary Utah. in Utah. Yeah. Very similar to that. And she became addicted, and it happened very quickly. And I watched it happen very quickly. And it was one of those things where I was like, you're not the same person. Yeah. You you were a very compassionate, a very kind person, and now you're the complete opposite of that. And you, there's facets of your personality that I'm not even sure existed before you became addicted. Wow. And so she had a partner that would go with her to these appointments who was, was not in pain, and the partner shared with me how the place ran. And it was exactly the way it was run in the the way it was discussed in the documentary you would go really? see the doc it would be a couple seconds with the talk they would write you a script you would go down to the hall you would fill your prescription and then you would leave and then they would have their own little like if you needed your prescription in between times you could just walk up to a certain prescription window and get that and leave and what i don't know is if it was a state level because we are talking about some of the poorer states in the country if there's just no way for them to have enough people to regulate to say we need to go crack down on these people back to your original question you know if is it on this it can you blame it on the state level that there's not enough regulation or is it the, the federal level that there's not enough regulation for these pill mills to have even started right. I, I feel as if the state is partially to blame because as we saw through the documentary a lot of these pill mills were in Florida okay and and the reason for that was because they have very poor regulation and there's yeah. not a lot of rules in Florida and the rules that are there, there's not a lot of people to enforce them. So I do feel that the states have some level of, of responsibility in this because again, it's the poorer states where these pill mills were happening. Yeah. Of the two stories that we saw here, like the, the human stories we saw, I am fascinated by Lynn Weber, 
that doctor who, till today, he's playing the victim. Yes. He's like, can you yes. believe this shit? <laughs> yes. And I'm like, dude, yes. have you done anything wrong at all? Like, are yes. you ever going to, like, yeah, people die on me and shit. No, there was a hundred and some. It's like, yeah, but some of them were getting old. I'm yeah. like, yeah. this motherfucker. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and the interviewee specifically said to them, um, you had a hundred people die in your practice of overdose. Yeah. And he was like, no, that doesn't seem normal. And then he caught himself and was like, well, yeah, well, I don't really know. I have, I see a lot of patients. And, you know, some of them were getting old. And I was like, he said overdose. He didn't say they died of old age yeah. or they died of cancer or anything yeah. like that. But no, that that man had a level of of pushing blame that I've wow. was unbelievable. I, I mean, the narcissism on that individual was boggling. There was another thing that he does that is very Fox Newsy, is when people claim to not know something. And just asking, genuinely asking questions. But it's more, let me ask those questions to sow doubt. Because I know that a lot of people may have thought about those questions. Although I have the answers. Although I know what I'm talking about. But I'm just going to push it out there. Because he kept saying, well, I think the question you have to ask is, what is overdose? Is there like no, yeah. over? Like, what do you mean? What is over? Motherfucker, you are a medical doctor. You talk, like really? Well, you have to ask yourself: Look, how far pain is pain? Is yeah. pain something? Something? And I'm like, no, nigga. We all know the answer to these questions. What are you doing? Yes. You know, yes. like there is no such thing as too much of a dose for somebody who is in extreme pain. And how far is extreme pain? Like. And then at some point he said something about like, I could either help them get rid of the pain or their life weren't worth living with the pain. And I'm like, so you just get them high and let them die. Like, yeah. did you say something like, like, yeah. like his yeah. reasoning was yeah. you probably, you, you can come to me and die high <laughs> or, or don't come to me and die in pain, but yeah. I'm not helping you. Like, yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. it was so clear, Jojo. Like yes. this guy is, he's putting out he, the thing about these kind of people. Gaslighters at the end of the day are transparent, yes, because you only have to pay attention to what they're saying. You only have to pay attention to what they're saying because it, they spin the truth so much that at the end of the day they end up telling you the truth. And this guy was saying, like, yeah, I mean, okay, so, so, yeah, I don't help. I don't give them pills. They live in pain. Is their lives, is their life worth living with all that pain? No, I give them pills. They feel better. And they may die. But hey, whatever, dude. <laughs> their life wasn't worth living anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 he was baffling to me. I, I, he was very baffling to me. I, I've not seen that level of self denial to such an extreme. I, I, I was very surprised that he agreed to an interview or that his attorneys allowed him have it, to have an interview. That's the uh, level of narcissism you got yes. right there. Yes. This dude literally thinks that he should get fucking the Medal of Freedom. Yes. He thinks of him. He, he takes himself very seriously, Jojo. Yes, yes, very, very much so. Very, very much so. You know, I, I, yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned him because he, I've, I've, I, I've never, I've never, <laughs> I can't even. <laughs> I would pause this thing, and, and my my son started watching the first episode with me, right. And it was weird for me, for me that he got he got interested because like I started it right there. He was sitting eating something on, on in the kitchen. He's like, "Where is this on Netflix?" And I'm like, "No, that's on HBO Max." And he finished what he was eating and he sat next to me and watched the entire thing. And I would pause it. I'm like, "Are you watching this?" <laughs> Did you hear what he just said? Did I hear it wrong? Did he actually say that? Like, what is he talking about? Like that yeah. was like you know. 
Tucker Carlson type of level of, of baffling gaslighting. Like, yeah. is it really something, something? Are we talking about like, yeah, that's as what a, we're talking As a medical doctor, it is not your job to discuss the metaphysical properties of pain. It is your job to treat the physical pain. And if there are mental issues that are going along with it, you refer them to a doctor who is a specialist when it comes to some sort of mental illness or mental problems. But if you are solely a medical doctor, you are not trained to right. in philosophy. You're not <laughs> trained in mental health. You are a general practitioner. So yeah, no, you, you, I... The idea of just a GP opening a pain management clinic and making so much money off of it and and causing so much hurt and so much death and the fact that he essentially told the the lady in in Utah that he told her husband that he owned her yeah, um, was I I don't know how someone like that can exist. I don't know how nature allows them to exist. That was insane. Yeah. I also, and this is sort of different, but I I did not realize that the pharmaceutical companies, and that would be led by Purdue Pharma, invented the the pain scale, the, the little sad faces and the happy faces and the miserable faces. I did not know that they invented those. Um, so that was very interesting to learn and also a real mind opener for me to see how much of their tentacles are in everything. Yeah. Because that is, that's huge. When you go into a doctor's office well, if you're a woman, the first thing they ask you is when was the last date of your menstrual cycle? But the next thing they show you is the the little little happy sad faces. And yeah. th- that's that's what you get. And so I am like that that's run by the people who are selling the pills. <laughs> a, a doctor didn't come up with that. A marketing team yeah. came up with that. Yeah. A marketing yeah. team. Yeah. Sales people came up with the little happy sad yuck faces. What the fuck? I'm yeah. sorry, but that I, that's to me that the whole four hours of the thing was worth it just to learn that. Yeah. Um, and I learned so much more, but that little piece for me was just. Look, like, as you said, there's a lot I learned there that, that it is the proverbial knowing how, how the sausages make. Yeah. And it can be actually sickening. Yeah. There's a moment I had, there were several moments where I was absolutely baffled, but the most baffling of all of them were the moments Dr. Weber was on screen. And the simplest question that he was asked, that I, when he answered it, I didn't know if to just laugh my ass off or just stop and cry. It was, why did you name your clinic Life Tree? <laughs> And this nigga looked at the camera and said, I had to name it something. And I'm like, I'm sorry, dude. What? Well, I had to name it something. I, I, That's it? Yeah. I, I, I was, I was taken aback by that as well. I, 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 I was like, he doesn't even have a polished answer for that. I you know. know. He, he could have, he <laughs> then he started the bullshit. Then he started the bullshit. Oh you well, see. yeah. Oh well, well the tree has roots, and, and the roots are part of the community, and blah blah blah. But his first answer is deer in the headlights. Well, I had to name it something. <laughs> Jojo, do you know how much of an answer that I have for just a? Why did you name your podcast Kicking Instrument? I got the entire half hour to explain yeah. the fucking thing to you. Yeah. This motherfucker has an internationally renowned clinic, pain management clinic. The question is, why did you name it? I have to name it something. I'm like, you know what? I'm done with this book 
right? I'm done with you, man. Like this is this is pure stand-up comedy kind of shit. Yes, <laughs> yes. For a second, it was like, is this SNL? Did I switch channels? <laughs> you know, I mean, honestly, it was it was oh. it was because I think they I think he was like mid-drink or something. He was holding like a drink, and the yeah, and the was, way the way the shot was it, it was very much it could have been SNL. It, when I, I mean, he was like, well, I had to name it something, like. Okay. Yeah, the drink thing too. Like, um, <laughs> so yeah, man. <laughs> I tell you what, man. I'm glad. I'm glad we we, you know, we decided to go with this one. Yeah. You know, I know that there are other podcasts that review movies and blah blah blah. Not a lot of podcasts like us will do episodes about documentaries. And I'm glad we did. I'm yeah. glad we do. I'm glad we find some of those and we, we watch them. I can't tell you how much you will learn about the opioid epidemic and how much it's going to be an eye-opener if you watch this documentary because it points finger at the people responsible and there's more to it than, oh, we have a crisis in our head. I think at the beginning it, sa- it said that a crisis is something that just happens. Yes. So typically you're not, you're, you're not prepared for it and you find yourself in the midst of it. Whereas the opioid epidemic was orchestrated, enabled, and supported. Yes. So the fact that we are calling it a crisis is... Is a, a bit of a, like I don't know, a, wrong. It's yeah, wrong. It, this is disingenuous, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's it. You know, I the human cost of this five hundred thousand Americans so far that we know of have died. Yeah, and as of course it's underreported because people are ashamed. Yeah, and because there are family doctors out there who don't want to shame families. And so they'll write, you know, cause of death, suicide, or that sort of thing. They're not going to put overdose. And the families that are left and the, I used to work in addiction counseling centers a few years ago. And to see the amount of young people who are, were addicted to the oxys, the, the opioids, and to listen to the parents and the young wives and the kids and you know the 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 person has been in rehab for this is their 10th go round and listening to the family crying and this is the last time we're going to go through this we can't do this anymore or this is going to be the time that takes it takes you know this is the time they're going to get sober and the amount of psychic trauma that that is causing to the country, to the population of the country, it's not just the people who have died. It's the millions and millions of people that are left. Devastated. And devastated. Mm-hmm. And the genuine healthcare workers who want to help and who are touched by these people and see the pain, that's also a thread of cost that's going to run throughout the country. So it's just, it's not just about people addicts getting a high or getting a kick or that sort of thing. It's, it's not what it's about. It's about a complete devastation and breakdown of, of families, of, of, of lives, of just the ability to be happy. Yeah. Well said, Jojo. You know, you know your thing, man. Like, I, anyway, no. I don't think I have anything else to say. Watch this documentary and, you know, hopefully you'll find some, you've le- you'll learn something from it. And I think in terms of politics, it, it teaches us that we have to vote responsibly. Uh, we talk a lot about voting, like, go vote, go vote, go vote, go vote. But there's this thing about, voting responsibly because some of the people that we are sending to Washington that we generally 
are in agreement with, at the end of the day, there might be some things they're doing that we're contributing to because we're responsible for that vote. Yeah, yeah. And, it's very, uh, very true. It's very, very true. There are there are many people that have that are elected that honestly should not have been just because somebody wasn't sure which box to tick. Yep. So it's it's important to not be lazy in your in your voting and and understand the responsibility and the fact that you're putting someone in a position of power who is going to be responsible for lives and it may come down to your life, your child's life, yes. your your parents' life, your brother's and sister's life. Yes. We're going to leave it right there. Jojo and I appreciate you tuning in and watching and listening. This was a bit grim, but it had to be talked about. Maybe next week we'll come back with something a bit happier, innit? <laughs> or even sadder, who knows? Yeah, we could go sadder and shit. Yeah, yeah we could. <laughs> <laughs> you will find me on Instagram, on Facebook, and also on the Twitter. I am Mr. Puzzetta, that's M-R-P-U-Z-Z-E-T-T-A. Jojo is on vacation from social media. I am, but I'll be back. So next week we'll be coming back with one more for ya. We thank you for being here today. Thanks, everybody. Bye now. Bye. Thank you for listening to Kicking and Streaming Podcast. If you found value in our content, please subscribe and share. We would also be delighted to hear what you think of this podcast. So please rate us by writing a quick review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on all major social media platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Join the conversation happening today on our Facebook group.